and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. So, hello, folks. Welcome to another episode from the Sales Chat Show, Sales Chat Show podcast, driving your sales forwards. Uh, regular listeners will know that we normally have the uh, dynamic trio, uh, Mr. Graham Jones, Mr. Fel Jessen, and myself, Simon Hazeldean. Unfortunately, Mr. Jones is occupied with very important academic responsibilities at the university he he is uh, working with so he has left foolishly perhaps mr jesson and i alone just the dynamic duo to, to to talk about some sales topics for you without his highly valuable presence but to be honest it'll just stop him to be honest, just chiming in every so often with a really annoying piece of factual research to just, he just loves proving us wrong, doesn't he, Phil? That's just what he, he just, oh, he's, he's facts and his data. He just doesn't, he drives us crazy. But no, we, we love you, Graham, because we know he's going to listen to this episode before he, will. before he uploads it to all the various platforms. So uh, no, no problem. So this episode, folks, is is entitled which of the seven deadly sins of failed sales coaches are you guilty of my goodness the seven deadly sins um this is uh, an episode inspired by conversations phil phil graham and myself were having about when we're talking to our clients that they'll often express a certain level of kind of dissatisfaction that their sales leaders, their sales managers aren't coaching their, their salespeople because there is so much valuable evidence and research that shows how powerful coaching can be to improving sales performance. And, and understandably, I think sometimes folks get a little frustrated at why their sales managers or sales leaders aren't aren't doing this which is such a powerful way to imp- to improve performance so we we kind of got together and bounced around um some some thoughts and ideas and so we've got seven seven of these deadly sins or seven another way of thinking about this seven reasons perhaps that that sales managers sales leaders don't coach their their salespeople so we thought we'd we'd go through these uh, uh, one at a time and uh, you can kind of decide how that is relevant to you and your organization and then we'll give you some some pointers about about how you might be able to it's a bit like uh, it's a bit like your version isn't it simon of of the seven habits of highly ineffective coaches that's what we're 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 talking about Avoid avoid any legal wrangles with the uh, the the uh, state of the wonderful Stephen Covey, of which uh, yes. uh, abs, abs, absolutely. So I think the first one, um, which is probably often um, Phil and I and Graham, well, I guess you know we may have all been asked by clients to to come in, and they'll say, uh, you know, help our people to become better coaches. Uh, the first one is they don't know how to. That's the first thing. I think there is sometimes an assumption that everybody knows what it is and everybody knows how to do it and i you know people need the 
the skills, I think, to be able to do it. Like with anything, you need whatever it is, you need to have the skills to be able to to do it. And um, for me, the good news for sales managers, sales leaders, is I think you probably have most of the skills already. Anybody good in selling is good at questioning and good at listening. So those those are two of the two of the four, I would say. The third skill I think is feedback, is the ability to give people good quality feedback on how they are doing and feedback on how they could improve. I would draw a distinction between uh, evaluative feedback, which is often numeric, and here's how much you have sold, for example, whereas developmental feedback will be the more softer how you have, have achieved those, those numbers. Uh, evaluative feedback informs, developmental feedback empowers. And then I think also, and this is probably one I'd be interested in your view, Phil, observing. So if you are joining the salesperson on a virtual meeting with a customer over say microsoft teams or zoom or something or you are going with them in person to a customer meeting it's really difficult to give somebody feedback on what they did if you took over the call and started running it yourself and i often find phil the the ability for a sales manager to sit on their hands so to speak and not jump in is is one that i think seems to be a barrier is that is that your yeah your and uh, i i think uh, i i always used to encourage um sales managers on my, on my training courses to go into a call with their account manager but to sit three inches behind the account manager ah, i like it very much putting the account manager slightly forward as the main man stroke main woman, if you like, because um, because I think subliminally and subtly that will register with the customer as to who they're supposed to be talking to. And I think another technique is to, if, if the customer starts to ask the sales director or the sales manager a question, to get it very quickly back to the account manager. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it can be done very quickly. Uh, by saying, for example, well, that's a very interesting question, Mr. Customer. In fact, we were talking about that, uh, Tim, only in the car on the way here today, weren't we? And it's just by saying we were talking about that earlier, Tim. Uh, Tim now knows to pick up the baton again uh, and go with the conversation. Yeah, I think that, you know, that that's that also is the importance of having a pre-meeting before you go into the meeting or go on to the call to I think cover what we'll do if if the customer asks Phil, yeah. as my boss, what are we going to do about it? And Phil will say, I'm going to pass the ball back to you, Simon. Uh, the other thing I was taught to do was uh, if you're in a face to face, and I wish I'd known about the three a few inches behind Phil. I really like that. That's a, that's a new one on me. That's brilliant. Is just to turn as you say. Well, we were just talking about that, Tim. Use your example, and then just turn to the salesperson and yeah. take eye contact away from the customer and yeah. you're, you're passing the ball back to the back to the salesperson so cool. i think the other thing as well as the skill the skill set is the tool set and and you need some sort of a model or a framework that will guide your coaching it's a guide not a cage and you know the classic one is the grow model of, of mm. invented i think uh, largely by sir john whitmore um 
what's the goal? What's the reality? What the options? What's the way forward? There are various different versions of it. But I think yeah. a simple methodology to just guide the conversation can can be a very powerful. So yeah. definitely get get the skill set. And there's a there's a lots of great um, information on coaching available. If your organization's not providing you great books, uh, Sir John Whitmore, Coaching yeah. for Performance, etc. There are lots of great and, and, and resources, and we've we've covered coaching on the sales podcast. Uh, it's sales, just in terms of podcast, just right? in terms of what what the manager should do, uh, do. You know, at the end of the call, I I think when I when I think back to my own experience as a sales rep years ago, um, my blood used to boil if ever my manager would say something like, uh, well, what I used to do when I was in selling, um, that's not relevant uh, because when my boss was in selling 15 years ago, that was a totally different world from the world that I was in at that time. Uh, and also the, that, that rather offensive, what you should have said was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sales managers need to just observe and that was a good point that you made earlier they need to observe what was said and how it was said and only work with what was said and how it was said not come out with some smart ass what you should have said was because that uh, that's just going to go and uh, put a bit of petrol on the fire isn't it absolutely absolutely um so our, our second kind of area our second deadly sin is is not understanding why the importance of coaching why should i why should i bother coaching my people what, what's the motivation for for someone and you know if we paid attention to somebody like simon sinek we'd have probably done them the other way around right here's why coaching is important here's how you do it with the skills um but it's understanding why and if you are if you are you know um lacking any data or research just email me at the sales chat show and i'll send you some data that shows why coaching is a really important thing to do it is in terms of why it is tailored to the individual it can be done in a relatively short amount of time it is proven to improve sales performance, particularly earlier in the sales process. It'll have a massive amount. It's flexible. It's adaptable to the individuals. You can do it face-to-face. -face, you can do it virtually. You can do it over the telephone. You can do it to an extent on email. It's simple. It's straightforward. And if you're not coaching your salespeople and you're not giving them the development then they might leave your organization and go somewhere where they are getting that development, a development, a strong driver of retention and where people are being developed and grown. A lot of them, if it hits their motivation drivers, it, 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 it's there. What else, Phil, if you, if you were selling coaching to our listeners? Uh, no, I, I think you've uh, you, you've nailed the list there. That was a very comprehensive answer, Simon. I've got nothing to add on that one. Okie dokie. So in which case, let's let's move on to sort of deadly sin number three. And this is, I think, when we said in the title, are you guilty of maybe in this case, your organization may be guilty on this, because maybe you aren't clear or sales managers are not clear of what is expected to the, or expected of them, right? They don't have role clarity. Because often, 
a sales manager, a new sales manager will be a promoted salesperson quite often, giving their first chance at, at people leadership. And I think they need a little bit of guidance on, on what they should be doing. I can remember scratching my head when I was a, a new sales manager. What, how do I fill my day? What do I do? And certainly I was working with a client recently. We had a, all of their senior leadership team from three different regions. We ran them across the across the world, you know, sort of the Americas, EMEA and uh, Asia Pacific kind of regions. And we got them in workshops going, what percentage of your time do you think you should be devoting to business issues? So in running the internal stuff of your organization, what percentage of your time do you think should be invested into customer issues, customer facing work, time with customers, working with customers? And what percentage of your time should you be investing in people related activities such as coaching? And it was fascinating to sort of see um, the difference between them and what people thought. And although we hadn't asked it, one group very insightfully, they came back from the little breakout workshop <clears throat> that we were running virtually. And they said, here's where we, here's the percentage of time now, which is what we'd asked them to do. Um, and here's, and here's kind of, here's, here's kind of where, where we, where we kind of need it to be, right? They showed us this gap, if you like. And then they went, and here's the reality, right? Here's, here's the best we think we can do <clears throat> unless something changes. Yeah. yeah. And that was a really interesting thing, I think, for the organization. So we collated them, <clears throat> excuse me, we collated these all together and were able to go back to the business for the different levels of sales management, sales leadership, senior sales leadership. We were able to create a kind of a, a broad role profile to give people guidance on where they should be spending most of their time. We tried to just keep it simple, um, but it was quite interesting when they were talking about the reality, which will kind of come on to our next point, where they get dragged away from people. Coaching yeah. would sit in people and customer for me, but mainly in people. They get dragged away by other, by other factors. Yeah. Just a couple of points from me on role clarity i i've always liked that get real question really of uh, well not it's not a question it's more a statement um and the statement is that uh, as managers we get the workforce that we deserve and yeah. um it's a bit of a sobering one that isn't it so rather than pointing the finger at somebody's poor sales performance um the role clarity around that is, well, maybe we haven't created enough motivation and skills for that performance. It, it's a get real question, isn't it? A get, yeah. a get real statement. Yeah. We get the, the workforce that we deserve. And I, I sometimes say to sales managers, well, when you sit down and you coach somebody, uh, just, just, uh, just write down as a group some of the questions that you're going to ask the person that you're coaching. And you end up with all of the usual stuff. Um, but I can tell you now, Simon, absolutely nowhere is the question, how do you feel about the support you've had from me during mm. the last three months? Yeah. Um, and that, I think, is part of the role clarity. You know, that should be in there. 
because it, this is not an opportunity to play gotcha with the account manager. This is an opportunity also to audit oneself on the level of support, the calibre of the support that we are giving that individual. Um, sometimes sales managers won't ask that question um, because if they've cancelled a couple of co coaching days out in the field during the last month, uh, they know the answer to that um, before they've asked the question. Well, you know, it would have been, well, I was really disappointed that you couldn't come out with me uh, the other day. I, you, know, I, you know, I did a couple of calls, but frankly, I, I was gutted that uh, you had something else you I've made the point, haven't I? Yeah, um, you may. We've got, as managers, as directors, we've always got to be brave enough to say, how do you feel about the support you've had from me? Yeah, and you might be able to answer that question yourself, folks. Um, I'm not saying don't ask your people, but if you know the answer's not going to be good, how, will you, how do you think your people will respond to what's the support been like for me in the last three months? And if it's not good, well, at least you know you need to do something about it. But definitely ask your people, right? Have the courage to do that. <clears throat> if they're going to get a better support somewhere else, better stretch, better development, better management, they're going to leave. You know, that's the, that's the absolute truth of the facts. So uh, I think be, be, be super careful. I think that I guess the other, you know, wake-up question from me, Phil, will be, do the people in do the sales managers in your organization know what good looks like? Do they know what good sales management looks like? Right. Because if you don't know what it looks like, if you don't know what good is, how will you expect people to achieve good? Right. Yeah. So you've got to you've got to make it clear to people what's expected of them, what's good look like, then they can achieve it. If they're if they're unclear, they're gonna they're gonna do the best they can, right? They're not yeah. stupid and they probably do a great job. But it might not be exactly what 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 you want, or might not be the optimum because they're they're not as experienced. So yeah. you know, I think let's 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 absolutely do that. I think that this links um, to to the next point as well, where we've been talking is I don't have time now. I've I've heard this I've heard this quite a lot over the years for sales managers, and of course, like any other response. There are there are reasons and there are excuses, and there are two different things. So excuses is just a bit of flim flam you can come up with for 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 not doing something. But a reason sometimes is, you know, I've had managers say, I get 300 emails a day, right? I'm required to sign things off, I'm required to sign this off, I'm required to authorize this, I'm pulled into internal meetings, I'm into budget meetings, I'm on project teams. And I have had this experience myself as a sales manager where it's very clear to me, I was in fast moving consumer goods. My job four days of the week was to be out in the field with my salespeople, going on visits with them and coaching them. And that was all great, but then you start getting called on to projects as the representative for sales, or you can't start being to ask to do this, or you start being asked to do that, or you, and you suddenly find four days becomes three days, becomes two days, and if you're not careful, becomes one days and no days. Yeah. And so I think that is something that sometimes, sometimes sales managers can do something about and push back. But realistically, what do you want your sales managers to do? And maybe if you are the sales leader, sales director, you're going to have to defend their coaching time and make yeah, I, sure they're, they're able to do it. I, I worked for somebody uh, years ago, oddly enough, also called Phil, um, who had a very good solution to him being incredibly 
busy. And one of the reasons why he was very busy, he was often viewed as being a role model within his peer group and HQ were always nobbling him to come and do projects yeah. at the HQ level as well. Um, so he knew what he was about. Uh, but on this issue of his availability to coach me, uh, he often used to say, well, let's stick half a day in to do that. And let's call that the 5th of February or whatever it was. And then he would say, well, in the event of me being unable to come on the 5th of February, I want to put in a backup session and let's call that the 15th of February. And he used to absolutely promise me that if for whatever reason he couldn't do the 5th of February, he would definitely do the 15th. And if the 5th of February became a non-starter, I know he would send um, a message to HQ saying, I can't do the 15th of February because I'm now going to be going out in the field with one of my account managers. So please don't call me for any meetings. So he was as good as gold on that. He knew that we had to arrive at a solution that made an allowance for his impossible real world. But if he fell at the first hurdle, he never, ever fell at the second. Well, that's a good, that's a fantastic, you know, fantastic discipline. Um, and, you know, if, if, if as an organization, you determine that what you want your sales managers to be doing is not necessarily coaching, you know, as in you want them doing, you want them doing other things or, or realistically, that's going to be the situation for the next, however, whatever period of time, the number of years, a couple of years or something, there is outsourcing coaching to a suitably uh, qualified organization. So certainly folks I work very closely with have a, have a coaching as a service offering. So, so you've got highly qualified, experienced sales coaches that salespeople can tap into in, in sometimes in addition to their sales manager, and sometimes, you know, it, it free, you know, to, as, as a standalone kind of thing. So, you know, just think you've got to, it doesn't, we're not saying necessarily all sales managers must be out there all the time coaching. If realism says that's not going to be possible, but somebody sure as anything has to be coaching your sales team. So if it's not your sales managers, then it needs to be somebody, you know, yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. And so if you, if you just know your current resource doesn't allow that, then maybe, you know, an outsourcing coaching service is something, something to con- no, something to consider. Well, just, just on that point, Simon, when, when I worked in a sales team in uh, Nottingham, not a million miles from where you are, um, again, my boss of the day, uh, the lovely Derek, he had a, a very good way of making sure that coaching happened. Um, and he used to say to one member of the sales team, Uh, And there were about five or six of us in the team. Um, But he would basically say to the senior sales body who had got a very good sales performance, uh, he would basically say, well, I want to buy your Friday. And he would say to that salesperson, "Um, your target is going to drop by 20%. Uh, because I want you to go out and coach other members of the team on a Friday. Um, of course, it wasn't necessarily a Friday, but he, he yeah. but that, that was how he explained it, that he wanted this senior sales body to go out and coach. But 
had to compensate that individual. So effectively, he was saying, um, I will buy your Friday and make sure that we do something on your salary to reflect that. And that going on within the peer group, as well as from my sales manager, was very, very effective because, of course, you can have a slightly different dialogue with the senior member of the peer group compared to the boss. Yeah, I think it's providing the uh, providing the, the peer has been given the right support to become a great coach and to, to operate. I think that's, I mean, they can be a great mentor anyway, can't they? Yeah. Passing on their advice. But if you wanted to, so I, interesting, the, the dropping of the uh, the 20% of the, of the sales target there. Uh, I'm sure Mr. Jones, Graham, would have something to say about sales yeah. targets if he was here, Phil. Um, I actually did a big project with a, a medical client and they actually were taking some of their top performing salespeople using the sort of field sales trainers field sales coaches and um they they didn't reduce their targets because they said if we've chosen the right people they won't be a problem for them to, yeah. to achieve target but it, to, to be fair this was actually a developmental step to get these people ready to become sales managers. So they were delighted. They went brilliant. Yeah. Hey, don't worry. I'll still hit quota. Um, But they were given the point uh, why I was so heavily involved. They were given a very, very intensive and in-depth support package of development and training and coaching to get them ready to be super coaches. And and, and that that was, that was what was very powerful. Um, I think the fifth deadly sin I think is, is, that people think it takes too much time, right? Uh, I the uh, actually linked linked back to some of the points we've spoken about. I do fondly remember as an internal uh, person in sales enablement at the time, I was being asked to do a little bit of um, internal coaching with a few people, and I was dealing with a very senior account director who looked after a very very significant client and this this person had two national account managers and there were some issues with perception with the uh, quality of the management of the two nams and these are quite senior people so i was i was involved and i was i was asking a few questions about coaching and the account director issued the immortal phrase well i'm too busy doing their jobs for them to find any time to coach them. And the irony of that situation was completely missed in the person. But I, I, I understand the understand the, but this links, I think, that, that people think it takes a huge amount of time. Now, I am not pretending coaching doesn't take time. And I think part of the mindset uh, the, to, to our second point about understanding why is you've got to believe there's a return on investment coming for your time here. It's not going to be, I coach Phil for 60 minutes and his sales performance transforms. But I know that if I keep coaching Phil over time, I will see, I will see that. So, but I think it doesn't always have to take all day, Phil, does it? It doesn't no. have to take half a day. It, you know, no. you can, you can be coaching people away from the customer meeting sometimes they could have a problem or yeah. a challenge and it, it sometimes it can be remarkably quick can't it I, and, and i think uh, you know you and i are great fans of the good old pareto principle yeah um, and i think this is a classic example where the sales manager needs to draw attention to the 20 percent of sales activities that are going to drive 80 percent of the outcomes. And so probably at the end of two or three hours in the field or a 90 minute meeting or whatever, 
if the account manager is simply focused on no more than three points, for example, then that's much better than dragging them through the 25 things that you thought were wrong yeah. when you were, because they're not going to be able to absorb that. And that would just be demotivational. Um, and that's, that I think is the, is the way to do it. And we've previously commented on a little technique called www.ebi. This is a classic moment for it. The www stands for what's working well, and the EBI stands for even better if. So it's a nice positive way of saying to the account manager, well, what seems to be working well at the moment is A, B, and C, but I think you get a much better result if you also did D yeah. and E. I think you're, we, we mentioned this on another episode. You, you, we were talking about something else, but you, you issued the, um, the phrase, less is more. And right. I think absolutely, you know, particularly having coached a lot of brand new salespeople, bringing them in, and that was my job for two or three years, was <clears throat> we bring in brand new salespeople, coach and develop them, and then and move them on into account management. And don't overwhelm them. Do not overwhelm them. Just start on day one is probably just go out with them, right? And just see yeah. see how they're doing. Day two, maybe let's talk about what you've planned and prepared for the day. Day three, let's talk about how you introduce yourself to the customer. Day and you, you know, don't just don't bombard them. 80-20 Pareto principle. And, and less is more, I think, is, 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 is key, important. But yes, coaching takes time, but it's, I think sometimes people exaggerate the amount of time it takes as though it's going to be hours. I, I think one of the nice things about uh, coaching in the field is that it's, it can often be a game of two halves where the first half of the game is that the needs are identified and summarised back to the mm. prospect, let's say, to make sure we've got the understanding right. Uh, and then comes the solution, not necessarily on the same day, but sometimes it's done on the same day. Uh, and then we have to make sure that the solution has uh, hit the ground properly and there's no objections to it and the customer's happy to move forward. So... Uh, again, I was very lucky years ago to work for somebody who would say, OK, Phil, on this call, uh, I want you to do the first half of the match, identify the needs, and then I will show you how to do the presentation bit. Oh. And on other calls that we made, uh, as my knowledge increased, he might say, well, I'll do the first part of the call, identifying the needs. But I'd like to see how you present the new product that we've developed. So you do the presentation on the new product if we find that there is a need for it. And it was a very nice way of doing a joint visit in the field rather than him sat there for 45 minutes saying absolutely nothing or completely dominating the call, as you mentioned before, uh, and me feeling a little bit awkward being scrutinised by the boss. But game of two halves, it works quite well. It's a nice, it's a nice concept. And of course, folks, if you are going to be uh, demonstrating something as part of your day out with your salespeople, 
you better make sure that what you're going to show them is of a high quality standard, right? So, you know, make sure make sure you're on your game if you're going to be if you're going to be doing that. Uh, deadly sin number six, I think, is is that sales managers have not stepped up to being a manager. Uh, a phrase I don't use it in quite as obtuse manner as I'm about to say, but in essence, I'll sometimes ask my clients, "Have you got sales managers or have you got super reps?" By which I mean, you've probably made one of your better to salespeople, the sales manager, and they haven't stopped being a salesperson sufficiently. So what makes them successful at one level in the organization, being a sales successful, high performance seller, does not necessarily translate into the skills or behaviors to be a successful, high performance sales manager. So you end up with, they are they haven't separated themselves from the previous job. They haven't stepped up away from it. And it's like a, it's like a tractor beam of comfort zone. It sucks them back into being a seller and they, they become the heroic super rep who gets the deal over the line in time for month end rather than investing time to get the salespeople to be able to get in the deals over the line yeah. for, for month end. And I think it's that, they haven't stopped the previous job. They're a player coach. Mm. And I think that's a quite a difficult balance to get right. And the doing the player bit predominates. That's that's kind of my experience. Phil, yeah. comments on, on that? No, nothing, nothing to add. I think that's all very well summarized. Okie dokie. And I think linked, linked to this step up, and, and you, this was certainly something that Phil mentioned, is... Number seven is you haven't redefined your relationship with your folks. This is particularly, Phil, I think when we were talking, your point was that it's often someone who is who is within the team become, becomes the sales manager, or yeah. it could be coming in externally. And what's the relationship? What is the professional relationship you as the sales manager or the sales leader want to have with your sales people? Because... You, you can be friendly, but that's very different to being their friend. You're no longer yeah. one of the boys, one of the girls, one of the team. You're no. leading and managing the team. And I think that's an, that's an important uh, distinction. I, I, th I think for me, um, um, going back to my very first selling job, um, it, it was very unfortunate in a way that my boss died and I was thrust into his chair, literally, over the weekend. Uh, so there I am, suddenly now the boss, yeah. with four sales guys that I was having a beer with the previous Friday. And I don't think I handled that particularly well in me redefining my role and what that meant and how I intended to carry out that role. And I don't think I spread my time or my talents evenly. I probably only concentrated on one or two members of the team, not all four. Um, and I think it's about having that open conversation about this is how I would like it to work. How would you like it to work? Okay, well, let's crack on with that then with me as the sales manager. But on another day, of course, I'll be happy to have a, a beer in the pub um, when the stripes come off the arm 
uh, quite rightly when we're when we're having a beer. Yeah, where where appropriate. And I think this is we're not we're not talking about you know you suddenly become all super important or you no. you become you've you've been promoted to this lofty place. And uh, however, your job is now different, and right. things that were there, you might have to introduce a policy that is unpopular a decision may be made to launch a product or stop a product that your team may disagree with and your job now is not you know is not whether they agree your job is to implement the decision that's been made by the business been made by yeah. been made by the organization and i think you just have to think that one through i certainly Definitely as an inexperienced, probably, if I'm being absolutely honest, insecure new sales manager, you'd probably try to be everybody's friend and you you become too friendly rather than, you know, the other. Definitely don't want to go to the other extreme, right? You can still be friendly, have a great working relationship, but you have to have the whatever, whatever you'd be. The relationship is defined that allows that. I guess professional distance might be one way. I'm, I'm not sure yeah. I'm entirely comfortable with that phrase, but you, you, I'm sure you get my drift, folks, is you've got a different job to do. And, you know, I guess if in six months' time your folks said to you, Phil, well, Phil, you've changed, that on one hand that could be a compliment. <laughs> on yeah. the other hand, it might be all Phil's now thinks he's too important for such and such you know but yeah. that's not but you do have to change what you do right because what it, yeah. makes you, it links to point six what makes you successful at one level is is not what makes you successful and your your comment simon about in six months time that that reminds me of a good question to ask here uh, is to say uh, maybe as the newly promoted sales manager to say to the account manager you know if in six months time you felt that our new relationship was working well, what would be happening? Yeah, yeah. And get that account manager to sort of put a six-month time frame together. And, and he or she will probably say, well, if in six months' time I was to say to you, it's, it, it's been a really good experience for me, this is what would be happening, this is the sort of support I'd be getting, this is the number of times I'd like to see you face-to-face, and of course, Sod's law on this one is that the account manager that wants the the weekly phone call um, gets the monthly phone call, and the person that wants the monthly phone call gets the weekly phone call, and so it goes on. So it's about tailoring that level of support, isn't it, in this new relationship that we've got? Yeah, and I think you know redefining the relationship, you know, is something. For example, I have done as. Um, an external supplier or provider where friends previously colleagues friends you know people I would count as friends because we worked in the same team have you know invited me to potentially uh, be a possible provider inside their business and I have to understand now they they were we were we were friends together in the same team but now they're in a position inside a customer I'm a potential supplier the relationship has changed. We can be friendly, but I must be respectful of that professional relationship and not compromise that in any way. So I have to realize that the game's changed a little bit. We can still have, you know, still be friendly, but I'm now a supplier and they're a customer. So it's different from being friends in the team. So that's another, you know, that's another way of, of, of how I've seen relationships have to get re redefined. So, 
if we just summarize the, the the seven deadly sins so folks don't know how so that's obviously they they need training or you can you can train yourself or educate yourself don't understand why please let us know happy to send you the research but just, you know trust me there is so much evidence that shows how powerful coaching is to improving sales performance and also employee performance. It really is. People aren't clear what's expected of them. So, you know, do they have role clarity? Um, do they know what good looks like? Um, they genuinely don't have the time or there's too much clutter. So you can, if, if it's too much clutter, you can help to coach them to find the time. If not, maybe they genuinely can't because they're being dragged into a lot of internal meetings and you've got to take a real hard look at that. People think it takes too much time. Less is more. The 80-20 principle, Pareto can help. People haven't stepped up to management. That takes some coaching from above to help them to do so. And then, and then finally, as part of that step up, I think number seven is redefining what that relationship looks like. And have that conversation with your people, Phil. I'm sure you probably had to do with your former colleagues when very yeah. sadly your boss very sadly passed away and you were you were suddenly suddenly given the team. You know, you've got to have that kind of conversation that things have changed now. Let's let's yeah. kind of let's let's sit down and talk about how we're gonna be working together going forward. Right. I think is a great you know, it's a great way to to think about that, folks. So we hope, hopefully, folks, that has helped. And uh, so please give those seven areas some consideration and determine what actions that you, you want to be taking. Um, if you're not coaching, growing and developing your people, there is always the danger that they or someone on behalf of your organization is doing that. There is always the danger they are going to go somewhere else particularly if they have previously had really great levels of sales coaching, the salespeople will know how powerful and valuable it is. And if there's now a vacuum, that might cause some dissatisfaction. So uh, remembering, of course, that the headhunters, your competitors, they always want to steal your best people. So, uh, you know, make sure you are coaching across your team's and uh, helping them to, to grow and develop. Any uh, closing thoughts, comments on sales coaching, no, Mr. Jesson? No, just, just going off at a slight angle, I think it's often quite interesting when you see a, uh, a footballer moving from one Premier League team to another, uh, maybe because his career has dwindled a bit at the initial club, but when they are interviewed some months later to explain why they're banging goals in left, right and centre now, uh, they will often say, well, it's down to the coaching that I've had from the new manager. They don't yeah. say it's because I'm being paid more. Uh, they don't say <laughs> they don't say it's because I'm living in a nicer house, which the club have very kindly arranged for me. They normally say, well, the manager has helped me turn it round. Yeah, uh, yeah. And we see that time and time again. So we mustn't underestimate the, the fabulous effect of very, very good coaching. Yeah, my uh, old CEO, Carlos Brito, now I think I think retired from uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev, uh, the CEO, um, was very fond of saying something like, great managers have great teams and it doesn't happen by accident was a was a Britoism always great yeah. managers have great teams and it does not happen 
by accident. It happens because the manager is doing that coaching and other things, managing those, those people. Well, yeah, it's a great, it's a great analogy. So folks, there are over well over 200 episodes in the back catalog from the sales chat show. Those will be available on all the pretty much every single podcast platform on the face of the planet for you, or at least in the cloud uh, for you, for you to access. And uh, please, if you would like to subscribe to the sales chat show, you'll get notified every time we do a new episode, which we do on a regular basis. And in the meantime, just want to wish you good luck and good sales coaching uh, from everybody here at the sales chat show. You have been listening to an episode of The Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at The Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. (laughs) 